Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. Well, hello again and welcome everyone to Community of Hope West Palm. If you maybe came in a little bit late, don't know who, I'm, who I am. My name is Jose. I'm the campus pastor here uh, at Community of Hope West Palm and we're delighted to have you worshiping with us. There's some amazing things going on in the life of our church today. And actually, I want to share with you the mission and the vision of our campus this Tuesday, along with Pastor Dale and our partnership gathering. That's going to be this Tuesday, the 12th, at 7 p.m. If you're a partner of Community of Hope or or you consider yourself, uh, if you consider Community of Hope your home church, I strongly, strongly advise that you come this Tuesday. At 7 p.m., we're going to be meeting on this campus in the Fellowship Hall. We're going to be talking about the mission, the vision of this particular campus. And I just want to set the record straight, okay? If you don't come to the partnership gathering, you're not allowed to complain about what we talk about, what we do at church, okay? And we just say that? <laughs> um, I'm kidding, not really. I know. <laughs> so anyways, I want you guys all to know about that. So partnership gathering, the 12th at 7 p.m. Last week, we started a conversation about truth in a series titled True for You. True for You. And in this series, we're asking everybody to come a little bit deeper into the scriptures, into God's word. And we're asking everybody to love God with our minds. Jesus himself said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And really, at the heart of the series, we're going against the cultural notion of relative truth. And really, in every, we saw some examples of how, you know, in every area of life, absolute truth is just assumed, right? Think about science, history, something really happened, sports, somebody actually won, somebody actually lost, mathematics, two plus two is four. But somehow, people think that relative truth is a better idea for faith, for the spiritual things instead of absolute truth. And we saw just some, some funny examples, right? Uh, about how relative truth doesn't actually work in the, in any realm, in any space in our lives. And so today we're going to continue this conversation of truth, but specifically as it pertains to scripture, particularly as it pertains to the truth in scripture. So some of you may not know, but Giselle and I, Actually, we, we met each other at a Christian bookstore, and I actually want to show it to you. This is the Christian bookstore that we met at in Miami, Zoe Christian Bookstore. I was, I was walking in, she was walking out, and apparently there is video footage that I instantaneously fell for her in that moment. Apparently. Apparently. That's what the owners tell me. I always suggest anyone looking for love, just go to Miami and walk into that bookstore. I'm sure you'll find it. <laughs> So, of course, at every bookstore, what do you have? Books, right? You have books. And, of course, I would go and often to go grab a quick read at this bookstore, and, but I left with a wife instead, but that's besides the point. But I'm a, I'm, a pity, I'm a pretty picky reader. I can be. Not because I want to be. I love all sorts of topics, but I just tend to fall asleep very easily. Can anybody relate? Uh, <laughs> there we go. I tend to fall asleep 
pretty easily if I can't get into it. But when it comes to picking a book at the bookstore, I typically ask myself two questions. And I think that this is true of most people, actually, that go and look for books. Question number one, is that book reliable? Is that book reliable? Is the source of that book a reliable source? Can I trust the information that the author is presenting to me? Number one, is it reliable? Number two, is it useful for me? Are the things in the book, what it's saying, does it matter for my life? Is it practical? Is it going to affect my life positively in any way? And so these two questions, is it reliable? Is it useful? I think people are asking those same questions in our culture and in our churches about the Bible itself. Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible useful? And so in my small group, just to give you an example, in my small group, there's this, there's this one friend of ours who, he's in a doctoral program for chiropractic medicine. We actually wanted him to stand outside while we're lifting pumpkins because we might need his services <laughs> during the pumpkins. But he was telling us of this, of this occasion in his class where he was talking to this one fellow student who said, how do you know that the Bible is absolutely true? How do you know? How can you be so sure that the Bible, what it says, is true? In other words, is the Bible reliable in what it says, and is it useful for me today? Our culture is asking, why should I read this book? Why should you read this book? Why should I? And this is exactly what we're going to address today, and that's why I've actually titled my sermon, Why Should I? In other words, why should I read the Bible? Why should you read the Bible? Now, the goal of, of, of a sermon, this preaching space, is never for you to simply nod with me and walk out the door just agreeing. That is never the point of a sermon, of this space. The Bible is about life change. And if it's not changing your life, then we're not using it correctly. But to encounter life change, you have to be willing to go deeper into God's Word. And that's why we're asking everybody, let's love God with our minds today. Let's love God with our minds and let's dive deeper into his word. So on the front half of our time, we're going to take a a deeper dive into why we believe the Bible is authoritative and true for life and faith today. And then on the second half of our time, we're going to talk about how it's transformative in your life and the life of its readers. So if you can, would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Alrighty. Paul writes to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. He says, All scripture is God breathed. All scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Would you pray with me? Lord, we pray today, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Your servants are listening. Would you open up our minds and our hearts to your word, and would it transform our lives? And would they be your words and yours alone? We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.
So the passage we just read here in 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for life and faith and in practice today. This is probably the most important self-referential claim that the Bible makes about itself, that it's God-breathed. And we're going to talk about that just a little bit. So um, there's two parts to this verse. The first part, we see inspiration inspiration, that all scripture is inspired by God. We get that word inspiration or inspired directly from the text, God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. In other words, inspired by God. So our first question, is the Bible true? Is it reliable for us? Is answered here. We believe that scripture is true and reliable because it is inspired by God. It is not just a human book. It is not just a human book. It is inspired by God. But I think that many people, both in and outside the church, have some, have a little bit of, of, of wonder and struggle a little bit understanding exactly what does that mean? What does it mean that, that God inspired the Bible, that the Bible is inspired by God? Well, for starters, let's just, let's just think about the Bible for the, for the moment. Let's just think about the Bible. About 40 authors, about 40 authors, roughly 2,500 years old, This is an old book, roughly 2,500 years old, 66 books compiled together that you have right here in your hand, and yet one consistent message. Isn't that incredible? And nobody, there wasn't one human person sort of guiding all those authors around. 40 authors, 2,500 years old, 66 books, yet one consistent message. There's no other book like this in history, church. No other book like it. There's no book like its continuity and its consistency. There's no book like its circulation. There's no book like its survival. There's no book like its influence and life-changing power. There is just none. There's just none that we can point to in history. So let's take a moment and let's dissect this claim that all Scripture is is making itself, or all Scripture is God-breathed here in 2 Timothy. So let's begin with the first two words, just simply, all Scripture. In other words, not just some is God-breathed. Now, I'd like to just, just bring, just, I'd like to explain this with a little example. I personally, if you did not know, I cannot eat gluten or dairy. And trust me, it is not by choice, <laughs> at least for me. For some people, it's by choice. I grew up eating it. I cannot eat it now. It does not do me well. And so, I, you'll often hear me talk about Cuban food, because I'm Cuban. I love it. It's my favorite food. But, Unfortunately, at Cuban restaurants, they never have substitutes for, for like these steaks. They never have almond milk or gluten-free bread from Udi's or, or something. And I just, I just think they don't believe in that stuff for some reason. <laughs> they just don't. I, I see some, some nods over here. They don't believe in it. Um, I can say that since I'm Cuban, okay? I can say that. So when I went to Miami for breakfast uh, a couple months ago, I remember ordering my breakfast and it went something like this. I told the waiter, yeah, let me have the, the scrambled eggs with the ham, but leave out the cheese. Leave out the no, no milk in the coffee, no, no bread, no butter, no croquettes. The lady's like, what are you going to have on your plate? <laughs> the plate's gluten-free, right? <laughs> so, and then the other guy across the table from me is eating everything. So, But you know, sometimes, that picking and choosing on the restaurant, I think sometimes Christians can pick and choose their verses. And what they focus on in the Bible as well. Sometimes, even unintentionally, we sort of do this. God, I'll take, I'll take these verses on your, on your love. 
I'll take these verses on your compassion. Oh, leave out those verses on holiness, please. Leave out those verses on justice or repentance. And sometimes we, we can very easily pick and choose the scriptures that we focus on and make sort of our understanding of God and faith around. And actually, all scripture is God-breathed, Paul says. Not just some portions of scripture, not just the ones that we sort of hone into or we like better. And this is actually why our teaching team, we ask ourselves very often, are we teaching the whole counsel of scripture? Are we just idealizing a few portions of the Bible? Are we giving the church a healthy, balanced diet from Genesis to Revelations of who God is and what our faith is? That is the question that we ask ourselves. And honestly, you'll often see in a preaching, you'll often see there's a main text and then we'll cite different portions of scripture. And we do that on purpose. We do that just so you know that when we're preaching on a topic, it's not just that one passage that we're taking out of context from the whole Bible. Actually, the whole council of scripture shows that point. And that's what we're doing when we do that. And I don't know if you've heard this, but actually the most dangerous interpretations of scripture occur when one person reads the Bible and just grabs one passage out of those 66 books and says, this is the dogma. This is it. And they interpret it without the full counsel of scripture. And so that's sort of a a lesson for us to take, always read scripture, take it for the whole thing that it is. Does the whole counsel of scripture agree with our point, agree with what we're saying? And so in summary, all scripture, underlying that key word all, is God-breathed or inspired by God. But the second half of that first phrase, God breathed, is where we get that word inspiration, like I mentioned. But let's take a moment and let's define what inspiration actually is. What is inspiration? Why is it important? And what is it not? Because I think that'll bring some clarity. Perhaps the best passage to bring clarity to this topic is actually 2 Peter verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. It's going to be on the screen where Peter writes, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by my prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in human will. Catch this. But prophets, though human, Peter says, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Though human, they spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I find this passage absolutely fascinating because it's at the core of what it means that the Bible is inspired. N.T. Wright, a very famous and and renowned uh, Christian theologian, has a really beautiful way of summarizing it. We're going to put a quote on the screen where he says, Inspiration is a shorthand way of talking about the belief that by his spirit, God guided the very different writers and editors of the Bible so that the books they produced were the books God intended his people to have. In other words, God used different people throughout history to convey his truth about himself and his work in the world. And he was not inhibited by humanity. As a matter of fact, he spoke through culture. He spoke through human uh, personality. He spoke through our language. And this is why you find such, such a culturally rich and dynamic text. That's why the Bible is, can sometimes be hard to understand. It can because it's so culturally rich and dynamic. 
But inspiration is so important, church. The book is, the Bible is not just another book written by human authors. The book we have today is exactly, exactly what God wanted us to have. Now, this topic, of course, inspiration of scripture can be a little bit confusing. It can. And sometimes it's better to clarify what inspiration is not, and it gives you even a more clear picture. So, first of all, inspiration, when we talk about the Bible being inspired, we don't mean the Bible is inspired as in an inspiring Hallmark card or a fortune cookie that has an inspiring saying, if you catch my drift. It's not as if we say the Bible is inspired because it has inspiring sayings. That's not what we mean. It's much deeper than just an inspiring saying. That's not what we mean. Secondly, God did not literally dictate word for word the Bible through like a message to one person. Are there visions in scripture? Absolutely. Did God speak directly to one person? They wrote a vision like all the prophets in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Yes, we have those in scripture. But for the most part, scripture is actually not that. It's actually not direct word-for-word dictation. So think of some cults like the Mormons, for example, the Latter-day Saints. They claim that God literally spoke to one person in an isolated setting and gave that message to that one person word for word. That's not what we mean when we say scripture is inspired. I think that's very clear for us to know that this morning. That's not what we mean. And lastly, the inspiration of scripture is not interrupted by translation. The inspiration of scripture is not interrupted by translation. And here's what I mean by that. In Islam, if, if you've ever studied a little bit about Islam, the Quran their holy scriptures is actually not holy scriptures if it's not in the original Arabic language. Did you know that? In other words, if we held that same belief, each and every one of us here, we'd be having Sunday school classes about ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek. And if you've ever tried learning a modern language, try learning an ancient one. That's, it's a little harder. It definitely is. But when we say the Bible's inspired, we don't mean in that way, how the, perhaps the, the, the Muslims believe. We believe in our Christian faith that the message of the Bible is inspired, not literally the language of the Greek or the Hebrew. So your English translation, you can be confident, church, this morning, that this English translation that you have in your Bible is God's holy word. It is God's holy word, and it is God's holy scriptures. We believe the Spirit works in and through to bring this collection of texts to us this morning. And so to summarize, we believe the Bible is reliable and it's true because the Bible is divinely inspired by God. In other words, he was in control over the whole process of scripture from the authors to bringing us the Bible today. God is in control, was in control of the development of this book, this holy scriptures, and you can be confident that it is reliable and true. Now, like I said earlier in in, in the sermon, the point of the sermon is for you not just to nod. Yeah, the holy scriptures is inspired. It's God's word. That's not the point of my sermon today. While we, while we, it's an important point, the Bible is inspired. I want to take us a little bit deeper than just that. We answer the first question, is it reliable? Number two, is it useful? Is it useful? In other words, why should I read this ancient book that's 2,500 years old, written by people that I never knew existed in the first place in languages that are extinct today? In that context, hmm, why should I read it? 
Why should you read this book? I know I've often asked myself this question. And so you should read the Bible today because it's not just, it's not just that it's true. It's not just that the Bible is true. It brings about transformation in your life, church. It brings about transformation in the life of its readers. Look at the second half of 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. We're going to read it one more time. It says, all scripture is God-breathed, and here it is. It is useful for teaching. It is useful for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, this question of why should I is rampant in our culture. The self-improvement industry by 2022 will have an estimated growth of $13.2 billion by 2022. Now more than ever, people are constantly looking for that secret ingredient, that secret practice to make themselves better, to transform their lives. We're always looking to better ourselves, aren't we? It's sort of a, a trend in our culture. And I sometimes think of, when I think of self-improvement, I think of a book I came across the other day, Making Millions for Dummies, <laughs> How to Improve Your Financial State. Imagine that. People, nev- people never seem to fill the hole in their lives because they're not looking in the right place, church. They're just not looking in the right place. God's word is the only thing that brings about deep internal transformation that we're looking for. And actually, take a look at what the author of Hebrews says about this point in chapter 4, verse 12. It's going to be on the screen as well. Author of Hebrews says, for the word of God is alive. It's alive and it's active. The word of God is alive and active and it's sharper than any double-edged sword. And it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. God's word is alive today. It doesn't matter how old it is. It doesn't matter what the original language was. God's word is alive today and it has the power to transform your life. It has the power to transform your life. We have some really close family friends that, that we grew up with. And their story goes like this. A young man and a, and a young woman get married in their early 20s. And six months after they were married, it was discovered that the husband had a brain tumor. It was a benign brain tumor. And uh, the, the surgery it lasted about 12 hours. It was, it, was, it was pretty much a miracle that he survived. A sneeze could have killed him. A sneeze. And uh, he was in rehab for over six months. Over six months in the hospital. And the tumor crushed the frontal lobe of his brain. And if you're aware of sort of the the different faculties of the brain, the frontal lobe controls your ability to reason, your self-control. And so as time progressed, his emotional state and his reasoning was unstable and unpredictable as the years went on. And, And though the woman began the relationship as a wife, her covenant of in sickness and in health turned her into a a caretaker 30 years later. And in a moment of of weakness, in a moment of despair, she cried out to God. And she asked the Lord this. She said, God, why didn't you give me a normal marriage? Why didn't you give me a normal marriage? Why, God? Why is it that I can't experience the same love that other women 
experience with their husbands on a daily basis. Being devout in her faith, she, she was reading the scriptures that day. She opened up to her plan, and the passage was John 15, 13. John 15, 13. I'll never forget as she was telling us this story. She opened up the scriptures herself, and John 15, 13, Jesus is with his disciples, and he says this. He says this to his disciples, greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friend. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay his life down for his friend. And in that moment, when she was doing her devotional, reading the scriptures, the Lord spoke to her and said, just as I gave my life for you, I laid it down for you, you've laid it down for your husband. You've laid it down for him. It was the living word of God that spoke to her heart. It was the living word of God that told her that. There was no, uh, there was no person in this room, not myself, nor anybody that could have told her that. Only the word of God could have unveiled that truth to her. Only God through his word. And church, this is a real life example. This is a real life example. And I know that many of you, although we come in many times with smiles on our faces, we're going through some pretty hard stuff on a daily basis. And I want you to know that while it's easy to shrug this aside and letting it get dusty in the bookshelf, I'm here to tell you that if you want transformation in your life, if you want transformation in your walk with the Lord, you need to pick this up. You need to pick it up. And that's the key. You have to read it. You have to read it. But you might say, Jose, I, I've never really read the Bible consistently before. And that's okay. Because <laughs> this is the place to learn. This is the place to learn how to read the Bible. But Jose, I, I, I read devotional books about God's word. I just don't read the Bible consistently. And I would say, that's, that's okay. That's good. But it's not a substitute for God's word. It's not a substitute for God's word. So I want to share with you as we're closing our time together, just, just a few practical steps that you can take today that you can take today to begin reading scripture and experiencing the transformation that the Lord can bring into your life through his word. So number one, find a place. Find a place. So whether it's your home, at work, or at a park, where is it that you can be distraction-free? And so actually this morning, I actually want to show you my place. And here it is. This is my place. Come on. There it is. There it is. That's my place. That's the end of my couch. It's called the, the Che or the Chase. I don't know how to pronounce that word, so forgive me. <laughs> I never know how. Um, and in case you're wondering, in case you're wondering, why is the dog there? I actually, he's there on purpose because he's part of my place. <laughs> and you think I'm kidding, but there was a moment. There was a moment when I, when we re- first got that couch, he sort of, he's like a lap dog. He loves to come up. And so it's like, you know, six in the morning or whatever. And I, open up my Bible to start reading and he comes and he jumps on me and he hurt me and he kind of scratched me with his nail and I pushed him aside really angrily and I thought I was being righteous in that moment and then I opened up the scripture and it happened to be the passage that said the right the anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires 
And the Lord convicted me. This is a true story. The Lord convicted me so much, I grabbed the dog, I shrugged, I put him on top of my, on my lap, and now he reads with me every time. So, Find a place. Find a place. That's my place. What's your place? Find a place that is distraction-free. Number two, find a time. I personally read my Bible in the morning, but you don't have to do that. Find a time that works best for you. Find a time in the day that you can dedicate maybe just even a couple minutes to opening God's Word and reading it. The important part is just to be intentional. That's the important part. Be intentional about it. Thirdly, find a plan. Sometimes people do, I think, what uh, what I call Bible roulette. Sometimes you'll land on a really good passage. Sometimes you land maybe like in Leviticus or something. You're like, oh, it didn't work today. Uh, you know, I'm going to leave that there. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's all inspired. They open up sometimes the Bible randomly, and you, you sort of hope that you land on somewhere good. And sometimes the Lord can speak to you th- through that way. I'm not saying he can't. But I think a more effective way that we, that we really try to, try to hone in here at Community of Hope is to follow a plan. Follow a plan that takes you through a topic or actually the books of the Bible so you can get the whole counsel of Scripture. You can get the whole counsel of Scripture. And if you don't have a plan, I actually, I suggest this one. I, this bookmark is actually in the welcome desk right back there, and it's seasonal. And so this has the plan through the end of the year. It's called the Word of God Speak Plan. If you have the Version Bible app, you can download it, Word of God Speak Plan. It's like a chapter or two a day, really simple. If you don't have one, I really recommend you get one over at the welcome desk. And so once you find a place, you find a time, and you find a plan, I promise you're going to find Jesus speaking to you on a daily basis. You're going to find the Lord changing your life and bringing about transformation in situations that you never thought were possible. I promise you that. He will speak to you. And so, church, the word of God is inspired. It's able to transform your life. Don't neglect the gift. Not all Christians in history have had access to this book. You're actually one of the special few generations that, in light of, in relative to all the Christians who have lived There are very few that have actually had access to this book, and you're one of those. He can make transformation possible in your life. Read it, treasure it in your heart, and see how God will transform you more and more in the person that he desires you to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we we come before you, Lord, just, just bringing, Lord, our hearts and ourselves your altar to your throne Lord and we ask Lord now in the stillness of our hearts would you transform any situation in our lives would you transform us more into your likeness church there in the stillness of your heart would you just would you just meditate perhaps on a situation or perhaps an aspect of your character that you need God to transform, that you need God to change. Lord, we hand that over to you, and we ask that as we read your word, would you speak into our lives? Would you speak into our hearts? And would we be changed by the power of your living 
thank you and we praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, would you stand? Would you worship with us in this last song? Church, I challenge you to pick up God's word this week. Maybe if you've been reading it just a couple times, pick it up a couple times more. Or maybe start. Whatever it may be, whatever is feasible for you, pick up God's word. Let it speak into your life. And you'll see that he is there with you in the fire. I want to remind everybody that we have our prayer team on the back left, your back right, standing by. If you need prayer, we've got a wonderful team of people waiting to pray for you, any need that you may have. And lastly, if you're here for the Young Families small group, if we've talked to you about that, Amanda, Leah, and Ed, would you guys wave your hands? They're over there. They're going to be on the back lobby uh, waiting for you guys, for those of you that know you're a part of that group. If you're a young couple and you want to sort of join in and see what that's all about, feel free to see them after service. They're going to be back there by the doors in the lobby. So, Now, church, would you just close your eyes and receive this blessing from Scripture, from Romans 15, 13. Paul said, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go with God, church. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week. God bless.